Yeah. <clears throat> this is the last talk for the month of Cherish Our Human Family Talks. So, so far this month we talked about our human heritage. We explored that. We talked about how we develop along the lines. And, and so today we acknowledge and honor all of God's creations. The, and you know, the length and the breadth of diversity on this planet is just astonishing, isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. It is so incredibly diverse and unique that we had to come up with an entire system of classification, right, for all of the different life forms that there are on Earth. Remember when you were in high school biology, right? Dear King Philip came over for great spaghetti? <laughs> no? Yes? No? Dear King Philip came over for great spaghetti? No, that was the mnemonic we used for, you know, domain, kingdom, phylum, class, family, order, species, right? Genus, species, forgot genus. No? <laughs> I'm the only one that did that dumb stuff. <laughs> okay, all right, so it was just me. Anyway, but because there is so much life on Earth, right, we came up with this a fantastic order of taxonomy to, to categorize the entire, you know, life on this planet. This world, this natural world contains 8.7 million species, according to the latest count. 8.7 million species of things, of life, right? According to uh, the scientists who have, have now said that th this is about as close to accurate as they can get right now. Um, so the vast majority of the 8.7 million are animals, by the way, yeah, with progressively smaller numbers of fungi and protozoa and plants and single-celled animals and chromists. And that does not even include bacteria. So there's like some hundred different, what is it? Insects, 900,000 different species of insects alone. And we haven't even discovered all of them. With all those little unexplored parts of, you know, rainforests and jungles, I'm sure there's a lot more than that. The figure, actually, some scientists put the figure at maybe upward around two million. Two million different kinds of bugs running around with us. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> there is over 10,700 species of reptiles. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Over 10,000 species of birds. And there are approximately 5,600 different species of mammals on the Earth. Humans are just one type, right? We know this. We're just one type of, of mammal, right? We belong to the domain Eukarya, kingdom Animalia, phylum Chordata, class Mammalia, order Primate, there's a whole lot of those around. Family hominidae, genus homo, species sapiens. Sapiens, sapiens, right? There we go, that's us. And all of that classifying, because there is so much diversity of life on the planet, we have to have all of those classifications. Now in, in Genesis, right, Adam was given the task of naming everything. Right? So in Genesis 19 and 20, it says, Out of the ground, <clears throat> the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Right? And so whatsoever Adam called them, that was it. That was their name. And Adam gave names also to the cattle and to every living creature. See, we've been doing this right from the beginning. We've been organizing, classifying, and naming stuff right from the beginning, and we're still doing it. 
right? We are still doing that. We're identifying and we're sorting by our differences, right? That's really what we're doing. And we talked about differences when we talk about different species, right? We talked about that last week when we talked about developing along lines. Mammals develop along the lines of mammals, insects along the line of insects, but mammals and insects don't evolve along those same lines. We don't develop along each other's lines. Canines are all canines, right? They're all canines. From the smallest three-pound chihuahua to the largest 220-pound English mastiff, they're still all canines. They all belong to the same group. They look different. They act different. They do different things. But they're all canines, right? They are just all canines. And they are kingdom animalia, phylum chordata. OK, so far, right? So good. Class mammalia, all right? We're still, we're still going down there. Order carnivora. Well, that's where we split, <laughs> right? They are carnivora, canidae, canis, canis lupus, canis lupus familiaris. Regular old pet dog. There you go. That's what they are. But they're all that classification, all the way down to the bottom. That's it. Dogs are dogs, no matter what they look like, no matter what color they are, no matter what size they are, no matter what kind of bark they have. Same with humans. All different types, all different sizes, all different colors, all different hair colors, eye colors. Everything is different, but we're all humans, right? And we discussed this, I know, in an earlier talk. There's no different species of humans, right? We're all humans. No different races, no different species. We are all one race. It's called the human race. That's it. And we look different, just like chihuahuas and mastiffs. We look different. Well, but it's really honest to God, it's true. Anyway, that's it. So to cherish your human family means just that. Cherish it. Cherish all of them. We, we developed in this incredible, crazy, rainbow of, of sizes and shapes and colors and languages and religions and political affiliations and just love all of it. Just love all of it. No matter what physical appearance we show up looking like, no matter what language we speak or what religion we practice or what political affiliation we have, whether we're introverts or extroverts, optimists or pessimists, football fans or baseball fans, huh? <laughs> Right? Still only one family. Still only one family. We're the human family. But here's the, the thing. Through fear, and it is only through fear, does the illusion of separation pop up. Right? The, the false belief in lack, the idea of not enoughness, the limited thinking of the false human narrative. Right? All of these things create a smaller and smaller circle in which we live our individual lives, right? Remember, again, we start off with these little tiny small circles. We're born, in, born, <laughs> we're born into a family, into a little teeny tiny biological family, me and mom, right? That, me and mom and dad, whatever. But that's all there is. And then you see, oh, you look around, there's siblings, you know? You get, it gets a little bigger, you get a little older. Then, then there is, uh, you know, relatives. Then there's a little bigger, then there's neighborhoods, then there's school friends. You know, life keeps getting bigger and bigger. Then there's team members. Our circle keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then as adults, we're free to choose, right? We're free to choose who we associate with. We're free to choose which family members we associate with, right? Some of them, eh, not so much. 
But some of them, yes, we, are, we align with. We, we sometimes choose to be with non-biological family. We create our own family. What did we say last time, right? There's biological family and then there's logical family, right? <laughs> Those people that we just absolutely resonate with. And we listen to human race consciousness as it floats through. Right? We begin to listen to human race consciousness that flows through it's that prevailing wind that flows through on our job or in our families or through the television or the radio or whatever. And, and it's talking to us about what life is like. It talks to us about money. It talks to us about jobs, about friendships, about children. The human race consciousness talks to us all the time about everything. But it may not be speaking truth. And so we have to stand in the, our own truth. We start to believe a collection of facts, right? We start to believe a collection of facts or beliefs that, that support what we may think is true about life. But it may or may not be true. We begin to align with maybe a religion or a spiritual teaching or a, or a philosophy because it aligns with what we think is true about life. May or may not be true. We develop along lines. We create affiliations. And then this big giant circle that we had when we became adults starts to get a little smaller, right? Because we, we see it all the time. Look, we see it all the time on Facebook, don't we? Come on, you know this is true. You know you click like on all the things you like. What about all the things you don't agree with, right? You click like on all the little statements you like. You click like on the memes you, you agree with, right? And then what do you do? You ignore the ones or you block them. <laughs> I know you do. You block the ones you don't like or you delete the ones you disagree with. So now your circle is getting smaller again, isn't it? It's starting to get smaller. We only associate with people who agree with us. Right? And we only go to the places that support the beliefs we're already bringing in. Our circle starts getting smaller and smaller. We start just keeping, kicking people out of our circle that, does, that don't agree with us. It becomes a very small circle indeed. Edwin Markham uh, wrote a poem years ago. He said, um, he drew a circle to shut me out, heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a bigger circle and took him in. <laughs> right? And that's what we do. And that's what we do when we come to a, a, a philosophy like this. We come to, um, it, you know, a faith tradition like this where we know that there's only one. There's only one, so it doesn't matter how you show up. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. None of those things matter because we got it that it's one. We know it, you know? And we also know it is fear. In whatever form it shows up, it's always fear that creates the smaller circle, that keeps us drawing a smaller and smaller, smaller circle around us. Fear of loss, right? Fear of loss, fear of rejection, fear of starving, fear of loneliness, fear of making a fool of ourselves in front of everybody else. Too late for that. That, that, that train's already pulled out of the station. You know, fear, uh, ultimately, ultimately, what is it? It's a fear of death, really, honestly. It's always that. It's always a fear of death. But the fear of lack, that's what drives us to create the smaller, safer circle. 
There's always a fear of lack of some sort, right? And you can see it playing out on the, on the political spectrum. You can see it playing out on the religious spectrum. We're right. You guys are wrong. You know, we got to stay together and be safe. And, and, our, and our circles get smaller, you know. The, you have the, you know, they we're talking all about the 1%, right? So you have the 1% that he reject policies that would tax them more be, to give more, more to the poor. They reject that because they have stuff and they don't want to give their stuff up. I get it. Everybody gets that, right? But it's that fear. It's the, it's the staying safe thing. The same fear of lack that drives the poor person to reject policies that cut back social support. Because in both cases, both cases, it's fear of lack. In both cases, it's fear of loss. Two different ends of the spectrum, but do you see how fear is driving both of it? Both of them. And here's what Ernest Holmes said about fear. He said, fear is a belief in limitation, a denial that the divine is the center and source of all of our good. Right? A denial that spirit is the center and source of all our good. And when we come to a teaching like this, we realize there's nothing to fear. We realize there's nothing to fear. It doesn't matter what the government does. It doesn't matter what your neighbors do. It doesn't matter what the state's up to. Spirit is your source and supply. Always, always, always. Spirit is our source and supply. Fear is what wedges in there and drives us apart from each other. When we know our job is to dive beneath those fears to gain understanding. We have to we have to dive beneath the fear to understanding, you know? When we freak out and start doing the chicken little dance, do you ever do the chicken little dance? Ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Ah, what are we gonna do about this? Oh my God, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? That's the chicken little dance, that's the one I'm talking about, right? We show how little we understand this philosophy. We're demonstrating how little we understand or believe what we profess to believe. Listening with the intention of understanding can heal our fears of each other and our fears of our situation, our fears of our conditions. Ernest Holmes said this, and I've quoted this before because it's one of my favorite quotes in the Science of Mind textbook, and it's found on page 282, just in case you want to look it up. Stay with the truth and never deviate from it. Never leave it for a moment. Nothing else can equal this attitude, to desert the truth in the hour of need is to prove we do not know the truth. And he put that in all caps. So, you know, you think, you think he was on Facebook. <laughs> he put that in all caps. And then he goes on to say, when things look their worst, that is the supreme moment to demonstrate to ourselves that there are no obstructions to the operation of truth. When things look the worst is the best time to work, the most satisfying time. The person who can throw himself with complete abandon into the limitless sea of receptivity, having cut loose from all apparent moorings, is the one who will always receive the greatest reward. We have to know that we know that we know. This works. This works. The love points the way, the law makes the way happen. It works, it works all the time, it works for everyone. <sighs> and when we look at what's going on today, socially, on social media, you know, in the, on the news, in the political, political arenas, what we see, a whole bunch of people yelling at each other. <laughs> like that works. 
we're right. No, we're right. No, we're right. Everybody is pontificating and, and doing that thing. Pounding the lectern, arguing, throwing facts back and forth at each other, trying to convince each other that we are the rightest of the right. <laughs> or the leftist of the left, whatever, right? Right? Another way of drawing our circle smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Another way in which we're closing down our circle. Let's face it, nobody that I know, nobody was ever convinced that their position on something was incorrect by being yelled at, right? No, we just dig further in, right? We just dig further in. We lock down when we feel like we're being attacked. Attack, defend, that's how it goes. You've never heard it attack, you know, oh yeah, you're, you know you're right, I just have to go think about that. No, oh, I see the error of my thinking with that post of yours in all caps. I get it now. <laughs> no, doesn't happen that way. What brings us together, what allows us to understand and cherish our human family is listening, listening. Listening with the intention of understanding. Someone, I don't know who said it, and I'll have to research it more, but someone said, hear the biography, not the ideology. When you're listening with the intention to understand, hear the biology, not the ideology. We have to strive to hear the person, not the opinion. Benjamin Mathis said, will you tell me your story? I'd love to know how you came to this point of view. That's when we're really listening. And when we learn something about each other, we gain understanding. Speak less, listen more. The Dalai Lama said, when you listen, you may learn something new. What a concept. <laughs> what a concept, right? What we learn is we're all one human family. What we learn is how did you come to have that point of view? Where did you come from? What was your story that led you there? We belong to spirit. We are one with and as spirit, and we belong to each other as well. So it's, it's necessary for us to gain understanding. We are one with human life. We're one with all life everywhere. Extending out from that, we are absolute stewards of this planet. It's our responsibility to understand. The energy, the energy that activates us activates all life. We, you, you, we know this, right? When we do our, when we do our affirmations, or, or, you know, the, the mantra that Ernest Holmes had, that there is only one life, this is, it's God's life. This life is perfect. This life is my life now. There is only one life. That life is God's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. And it's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. It's only one planet. We're only one species. It's up to us to get along. And, and getting along and it is really listening to each other. Listening to each other. Hearing each other's stories. That's how we cherish each other. That's how we cherish the entire human family. Where did you come from? Hmm. How did you grow? Along what lines did you get here? What are your beliefs? Ernest Holmes said this. He said, we should not expect the law of good 
to operate for us alone, shutting all others out. It is only that which we share with others that is really ours. We are so constituted that when we think of evil of others or condemn them, it is impossible to escape the condemnation for ourselves. This is why Jesus said, Judge not that ye not be judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Everything that goes out comes back again. Our thoughts and our acts move along those circles, right? So let's draw the biggest circle that we can. Let's draw a circle so big that it encompasses the planet. Let's draw a circle so big we can love all of humankind. That is, that is the, only, the only way that, that peace will happen. That's the only way that peace will happen. Thank you so much.